money. Getting paid. This week on Download This Show, it is a service that's become famous really for adult entertainment, but it may well have cracked a crucial conundrum facing creative people on the internet that just want to get paid. Also on the show, it is the super fast train idea that is taking hold around the world. So what is it that makes Hyperloop so special? And should we want it here in Australia? And has the gaming world inadvertently gifted us all a social media platform that is not a horrible trash fire? Let's find out. This is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. My name's Mark Fennell and welcome to Download This Show. Yes, indeed, it is a brand new episode of Download This Show. She is founder of Girl Geek Academy, Sarah Moran. Welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. The pleasure's entirely mine. I don't know why I go back as though like I'm trailing <laughs> off into like audience applause. I assume when you listen to this, you applaud. I don't know why I assume that. That's just like my gigantic ego at work. Also on the show, uh, Angharad Yo from Good Game Spawn Point and a variety of other wonderful things across the ABC. Welcome back to Download This Show. Thank you. I should also say... Can that I count download this show as one of the wonderful things I'm on across the ABC? Yes, but it is not as wonderful as the most important piece of audio that comes out of this building, according to my four-year-old, which is Story Salad. <laughs> literally, if you've got a four-year-old or a five-year-old or a six-year-old, you need to get on Story Salad <laughs> on the ABC Kids List app. It's amazing. Anyway, you also know lots about technology, uh, which is why we've got you on the show today. Uh, <laughs> and I want to start off by talking about something that I feel really silly that we haven't touched on this show before. Uh, it's a chat app that has become hugely popular. It launched actually back in 2015, and it's become the home to a really diverse mix of communities, everything from you know, writers, artists, K-pop stands, you name it. It's called Discord, uh, and it is, in fact, one of the most popular chatting apps around the world. But what, pray tell, Angharadio, is it? This is funny because I have been on Discord since 2015, and when you sent through the topics, I was trying to figure out how long I've been on Discord, and I was like, oh, probably about then. And now that you've said that it launched in 2015, I realise just how long it has been. But basically, Discord is a chat app which primarily was geared towards gamers when it first came out. So it was something that people could jump into and talk to each other in while they play games online. And from there, it kind of evolved to being very community-based and a place where people could connect. So basically, you can join a Discord channel, and then within that, it'll have kind of different channels and rooms that can be either text or voice chat, and you can kind of just jump in with other people and have a conversation. So people People have private ones with just their friends or there are public ones where you can just connect with like-minded people and it's a program that they're constantly iterating on so they've also added video chat and you can do screen sharing or streaming of games to kind of like a private little group and things like that so it's a quite highly powered chat app I would say. It's weird it's one of those apps that you get drawn into um, if you're involved in lots of communities that they will use it and therefore if you want to participate in that community that's the best way to get involved. Um, the way that I first started using it was I was using uh, a new piece of software and they used it as their support channel. And so that was actually a really nice induction to using it because, you know, it was like, here's where you'll be supported. And so I felt like I was learning both Discord as well as the software I was using at the same time. What would you say is the most important function of it, Rad? Like what, what is the part of it where you like that? that is the thing that separates this from all of the other gazillion, you know, chatting <laughs> and social apps that exist in our world right now? 
I think when it started, it was the fact that it was quite streamlined and it ran well while you were playing games. And obviously that was the most important thing. But I think the reason it's picked up and kind of grown its audience and its spread is the way that these channels work. So it's a little bit like Slack in some ways, which I don't use, but a lot of people would be quite familiar with because it's a very popular kind of work-based one. Um, so by having everything split into different channels, different rooms, you really able to go in and engage with what it is you want to engage with. So for example, I'm in a discord with a bunch of friends and they have channels from everything from food to shoes to kind of general chat, um, specific rooms for specific games. And it allows people to go in and talk to each other about the things that they're interested in. Sarah, are there aspects of discord that, and I'm going to put this in the most delicate way I can, are there aspects of Discord that, like, bigger social networks should just steal? Because, like, they're good <laughs> techniques and the rest yeah. of social media is a trash fire and maybe they should borrow some ideas? Well, absolutely. And, and I, it's really interesting that, you know, the comparison is with Slack. And one thing that, like, particularly enterprise social apps have never been able to do is, repri- like, replicate that sense of community. And so Discord have gone, well, no one else is actually touching how do we manage communities of people when they're not at work. And Discord has doubled down on it. And that's why the features are so appealing to groups of people. And you can talk about shoes and food and all of those different things. <laughs> um, and, you know, and it's, it's, it's quite interesting because quite timely is... Uh, the recent acquisition of Slack by Salesforce. So these things are big dollars and the features that are actually able to be pulled in, um, I think they should absolutely double down. Uh, I I think the lines, particularly this year, between work and your community, (laughs) I don't know about you, but I feel like I wake up, get out of bed, go to the internet and go home again. You know, it's it's, it's all (laughs) starting to blend. And so I think that's where we'll start to see some of that crossover. Which raises a really good point, right? I mean, what would you say the biggest challenge is facing... Discord in the future? I think it's continuing to iterate on what they've got and provide streamlined service. I think it will, for the time being, remain quite a gaming focused app um, because it's more about voice chat and this kind of drop in, drop out system. So you can see a room, you can see who's in it, and you can jump in and leave at any time. Unlike a video call where often it's something that's kind of more appointment based. Um, So I think it needs to remain sleek and slim and run well with other programs as something that happens in the background. Um, And I think they need to keep looking at how people use technology to connect. So far, I think they've done a really great job of that. And I don't think there's anything else quite like it that covers the same sort of ground yet. Mm. Any thoughts on, on that one, Sarah? Yeah, I just think there's a couple of other, I guess, established competitors of how we engage in communities. Like WhatsApp groups is one, Facebook groups is another. Um, and thinking about how you can, uh, you know, blitz those is definitely the the space where I would want to be working in. And then the other thing is how do you, if, if people do use this to, um, to chat whilst doing other things, how can that blended sense of technology use actually really help move Discord forward? Download this show is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. Mark Fennell is my name. Our guest this week, Sarah Moran from Girl Geek Academy and Angharad Yo, uh, technology writer and reporter. She's also the host of Good Games Spawn Point. And fun fact, most technology startups don't make money and they don't make money for years. They're certainly not profitable. But I'll tell you what is profitable, OnlyFans. Now, if you've never heard of OnlyFans before, it has become wildly popular, but perhaps not necessarily as talked about as openly as other services 
Why might that be, Sarah Moran? Oh, look, it's it's one of those uh, innovations that starts in the best place of the internet, which is uh, it started off in the adult content uh, part of the internet. And uh, I find that interesting because I think the juiciest technology often starts um, from that section of the internet. So I'm really happy to see the success of OnlyFans. It's a sort of subscription-based social media, if you want to call it that, but it has quite a few differences to your traditional social media. It's more about broadcasting an individual entertainer. So they'll have a page and you could subscribe to it for usually like five, ten dollars and a month. And what that'll mean is you get exclusive content. Um, so this usually pertains towards more kind of adult images, um, things that are slightly erotic. It can go it can span from very, very soft core, basically just people doing their day-to-day things to more hardcore material. And you can also uh, tip the entertainer in order to get one-on-one conversations or one-on-one more private uh, tailored content as well. Patreon meets Pornhub. So actually I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because one of the biggest challenges facing adult entertainers around the world over the last 30 years has been the rise of things like Pornhub, which you know, in large part has a lot of free content, which hasn't necessarily been funneling its way back to the performers and the producers of this content in the first place. In a weird kind of way, OnlyFans, Sarah, has almost been a solution to that, hasn't it? Oh, absolutely. And what's really interesting is it's, yes, it's a solution for that um, category of um, a business person, but it's also like it's helped establish or at least ride the wave of um, what I'm thinking of as solopreneurs. So when you think about Patreon and you think about all of these, um, you know, these these platforms that help individuals with, um, you know, uh, their income, this is one that's really served a niche, but is starting to grow out into other areas as well, which is really great to see. Yeah, so in the last four years, just get this, uh, OnlyFans has grown to having over a million creators. They've paid out in excess of $2 billion to creators and they've got a, over 100 creators that are making over a million dollars. That's pretty significant. But I guess one of the things I'm fascinated by, and if you're wondering why we're talking about this, is it's, it's reached an interesting inflection point, Angharad, where obviously it has become known for adult entertainers, get that, but now it's been starting to do this push just in the last, I think really in the last year, of into other kinds of performers. And I think that like the first area you see is, is fitness. There's a lot of fitness performers there who will charge for individual pieces of content. And it's moving out of that space as well. How do you think they're doing at managing that transition into like a wider footprint? I think it's quite tricky at the moment um, because it does have quite a bit of stigma attached to it. People generally um, can have a bit of shyness or almost ickiness about going into an adult entertainment space. They don't necessarily want to be associated with that, even though OnlyFans did have its roots in that and did have its majority of uh performers be in that space. It is just a platform whereby people can create content and sell that content. And they do have quite good systems for that. So I think their biggest hurdle isn't the technology. It's more certainly the types of people um, that come to the platform and what they want to get out of it as well. So you might have heard of Bella Thorne, who's, I think she started in Disney. She's an actress. um, And she came onto the OnlyFans platform, created a, a page and then said that she was selling nudes for $200 a pop. People bought them and they didn't actually turn out to be nudes. So OnlyFans had to refund a whole lot of money and it led to or 
allegedly led to, only fans denied that it was because of this specific event. But shortly after, they implemented caps on how much people could charge for pay-per-view things or for tips. And that greatly changed how people are able to earn income on the platform. So it's a difficult thing when you are dealing with something that predominantly has adult entertainers on it because it is a space that typically has quite marginalized people and then when you have someone like Bella Thorne come in and use the platform in a different way although she did lie I will say mm. <laughs> um, yeah. but use the platform in a different way it can kind of exasperate these problems that these marginalized people have so I think they're going to have some difficulty in more of the social side of how the platform is used. What do you think, Sarah? It's interesting because I, I don't think that it's uh, like, I think the, the roots are there, but because it didn't hit the mainstream yet as an adult content um, platform, I think that maybe it can get ahead of this. Um, and if it does, that's going to be the, you know, where we'll see true growth. Because I tell you what, I, I have personally felt the need to use a platform such as OnlyFans, um, not because I have so many fans, but because <laughs> of the way that it lets you be, <laughs> because, it, you know, the way that you can have that intimacy with the community that you're trying to work with um, and for us you know that's young girls and of course they they I want them to want to be fans of geeks right like that's that's the whole thing um, I don't think that I would get away with it yet I think that uh, that might be a bit too risque for what we're trying to do but hopefully if the platform matures and matures its brand and can break out into the mainstream as something that isn't only for adult content I am so excited to be able to use something like this and um, if that doesn't work then maybe a competitor will spring up and copy the way that the the you know the platform works and maybe I can use that <laughs> am I just extremely online that I've known what OnlyFans is for ages no but I've only I mean it's funny that you say because I I've only ever understood it to be an adult platform and it's, it's in, I guess the reason why I wanted to talk about it is I've noticed that there's a whole bunch of there's a whole bunch of influencers because I out of curiosity, I follow a bunch of those influencer houses that exist in Hollywood. So if you're not familiar with, there's a whole bunch of TikTok and Instagram stars. Oh, that they just, Mark, they just love get yourself. A, they get a giant house in the Hollywood Hills <laughs> and they, they all live there and they all make content together. And I'm just fascinated. I'm so fascinated by the psychology of it, the economics of it. And what has been really noticeable in the last year is in addition to their business being particularly on, on Instagram and TikTok, they've also all of them seem to have also set up OnlyFans. And a lot of them are doing this and they're not necessarily putting out actual pornography, right? They're putting out something that exists in a space between being a hot person on the internet and a little bit further than what you would normally get away with on platforms like Instagram. And I think what I find most curious about it is that it hands the agency of that relationship back to the creator in question and how I... that relationship is changing. I, I'm, I'm curious to see... I'm curious to see what it does to the technology end of it, but also what it does to the mechanics of fame. Does that make sense? I think, yeah. Well, I think that the real magic of OnlyFans is that one-to-one -one interaction, but the creator gets paid for it. So it's the excitement that a fan gets when the famous person sends them something that feels exclusive. It's the same kind of you know, rush that you might get when someone famous follows you on Twitter, except they're giving you more attention. And I think we're starting to see more and more of this trend of business models that are essentially paying somebody for their attention. You know, we see it in Twitch, um, game streaming, Patreon, things like that. So I think that 
OnlyFans has created a model of that um, for people to get paid in a way that's both quite safe for them and that they have a lot of control over and a lot of agency over. And that's more where the magic is. And they also only take a 20% cut, which, I mean, you know, if you look back over the history of the adult industry, I mean, it's notorious for its um, taking advantage of particularly, you know, younger people, people in, uh, who lack power in that scenario. And I just think it's really fascinating. And, I, and I'm kind of curious about, Sarah, if there are lessons that, I mean, you said it sort of earlier, it was like you're waiting to see if OnlyFans becomes more mainstream or somebody comes in with the exact same model and less of the baggage. Like I, I too am particularly fascinated to see if that, if that translation ever happens. Do you think it will? Well, I mean, look, you know, media has been disrupted now for like the last 20 years and we've been waiting for technology to shift what that looks like. And I think this is the next, you know, one of the new iterations of that. Um, you know, when it comes to newsletters, we have Substack. Uh, I'm a big fan of Cameo. If, you, if you're ever known to be in my birthday calendar, you'll probably get a Cameo from somebody. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, and this idea of having um, specialised content and from the creator side, you know, um, the way that creators get paid is usually so reliant on so many other people and the whole production system. Whereas what this allows is it's like, you know what, I've, I've got half an hour downtime. I can invest that back in my fans and be getting paid when I want to and when I have availability to work. And I think there's something, there's just a lot of interesting things happening there um, and I'm here for it. I am so subscribed, uh, though not literally, to any OnlyFans accounts. <laughs> <laughs> when will you know if if it's mainstream, like what, what's the, uh, what's the kind of the bar it has to clear? Like when you see like a Disney channel star, like what, what are you looking for Sarah when you'll know, like it's crossed over properly now? Facebook posts by my Nana. Uh, <laughs> when Nana's on OnlyFans, then you'll know. Exactly. Although, you know, that could be a nice Christmas holidays project. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> that is so wrong. Um, oops, lucky she probably can't use a podcast. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's the way. And that's kind of what I meant by it hitting the mainstream now. Like it's emerging into the mainstream, but it's definitely not there. If you're always on the internet as Rad is, then, you know, maybe, maybe you know that. But I think I'm seeing more memes and jokes but also more, um, you know, non-adult content creators saying, yeah, you know what, I'm going to use this. And enough people need that as an opportunity to create revenue. I th I'm, I think it's going to happen sooner rather than later. What about you, Harad? What do you think it'll, what, what's the bar you're looking for it to clear for it to, to become mainstream? Oh, I think, I think it is kind of, yeah, in that Disney space of somebody who is working probably more in kids entertainment, um, feeling comfortable to start an OnlyFans. Um, you know, I work in kids TV and even though I don't see the platform as being just a pornographic platform, I wouldn't start one because I know that that's still the perception. Mm. And also I just don't want to do it, but mostly because, <laughs> <laughs> but because that's enough. still the perception. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, I think that that really, when there's no longer that uh, fear of kind of getting in trouble, I suppose, that's when we'll know that it's mainstream. Download this show is what you are listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. Mark Fennell here, Angharad Yo and Sarah Moran also joining us on the panel this week. And earlier this month, Virgin uh, debuted, I'm going to say debuted, their high-speed Hyperloop rail. And when I say debuted, what I actually mean is they put two humans in it and they made it go really <laughs> fast. Right now around the world, there are various different forms of this technology that are being experimented with. What exactly is Hyperloop? Like, what, how does it work? 
So Hyperloop is a new transport technology that people are trying to develop that combines a pneumatic tube and a maglev train. <laughs> so you basically build a tube track that is held at low pressure to create less friction and a maglev train, which if you know, it, it works on um, electromagnets and again, no friction. And it shoots a little pod in this tube through really, really fast. They're saying speeds of like a hundred, a thousand kilometers an hour. So if you think a Sydney train is about 130 kilometers an hour and a bullet train is, I can't remember exactly, but uh, this is supposed to be about three times as fast as a bullet train. Sarah, who exactly is investing in this technology? Who wants it the most? Elon Musk's ego would uh, absolutely love this to, to come off so he can add it to his portfolio of work. SpaceX um, are interested, but you also have a number of different projects that are taking off in Nevada, in Korea. Um, lots of different locations around the world want to see this happen. Um, I personally think it's a bit of a, you know, like a space race, but for domestic transport and transformation projects. Like a space race, um, but everybody's on a different railway. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, and particularly coming out of the pandemic, right? Like governments want to be seen to be investing in new infrastructure and new ideas because we need to be able to dream big again. And so there's a lot of people who are stepping up um, to the table to invest. Everyone wants you to dream big, but always in a circle. Yeah. Maglev circle. In a maglev circle. In a tube with no air. In a tube circle. <laughs> in a tube circle. Rad, who needs this technology? Is there a country that would particularly benefit from it? I think everybody needs a Hyperloop, right? I, I know that I am probably like the thirstiest person for new tech. Anything that people announce or anything that's coming up, I'm like, I love it. I want it. But if this works, the idea behind it is pretty fantastic. It's, it's probably going to be very expensive. It's probably going to be very difficult. The technology may not even be viable, but if it works, what we're basically talking about is being able to cut down your commute to one-tenth of the time. The idea is that there'll be smaller pods, so you'll be able to take fewer people. And if you're taking fewer people, you can take them to more destinations. However, I will say they're talking about having like milliseconds between pods, and that's just a crash waiting to happen. But also, I kind of can't wait to see. I don't want anyone to get hurt. But yeah, I kind of I'm glad you clarified that. Well, I mean, I, that's the part of this that I'm fascinated about, which is also like the economics of it, right? So I know that um, they've been planning or at least they've proposed the idea of building Hyperloop or Hyperloop adjacent technology between places like Abu Dhabi and Dubai. And I guess the part I'm still unclear on is why is this technology more preferable to say planes like what, what like what what is driving people to do this versus all the other existing forms of very fast travel we have right now gotta go fast <laughs> <laughs> no so it 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 does have its advantages for example compared to normal trains it is able to go faster up steeper inclines it is able to take tighter turns uh so theoretically you're also building less track. You're needing to cover less distance in terms of the track itself. And that's attractive and can mean more direct travel to different places as well. Um, obviously, we know that planes are very fuel intensive and theoretically, these could be less uh, intensive in terms of energy usage. So I don't know this for sure, but I am going to assume that they run on electricity. So theoretically, if you're using renewable energy, you can reduce the impact in that way as well. 
I feel like electricity is almost definitely involved. I feel like we're on safe territory declaring that. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I didn't look it up specifically, so that's why I'm kind of putting a caveat, but I would say like 99% sure. I mean, if I'm I mean, if it turns out that this whole thing is steam powered, I will be surprised. <laughs> Let me just say. That would it's be It's actually a... just a giant sucking on a straw. Such <laughs> <laughs> Visual image. <laughs> um, Sarah, we've talked. We've, the word theoretical has popped up a lot. How close is this thing to actually being a reality? Like, obviously, once we've we've put two humans who, I mean, I've watched the video a bunch of times. They do definitely seem like real human beings. How close is it to actually being a thing in the places that they are building these hyperloops? Oh, I'm much more conservative than a lot of other people are on that one. I think it's so far away. I I think that the technology may be a lot less viable than we think it is, but I oh, I just love that they're trying. Hold on, so why do you think it's less viable than we think it is? Like what's what's fueling that? Uh, because because people have tried it before, because pneumatic transport was abandoned for a reason, and I think that there's a lot of issues in the quality of track that needs to exist. It needs to be really, really smooth. I think that there are absolutely major safety issues with this thing. Um, I think that if you're needing to clip into a five-point race harness like they did for the test, it's not necessarily viable as a public transport option. You're going to be slowed down by safety checks, which in turn means that the speeds that you're going at, the you know... Um, which in turn means that the time you're saving on travel is just lost in a guy coming through your pod and checking that everybody's buckled in properly. So there are a lot of things here that may mean that it's not really like a great option just yet. If you're talking for city transport, you know, you may be slowed down by those safety checks. If you're talking for further distance transport, these pods are generally quite small. So where is its use case? Don't know yet. One of the most, I mean, until the bad times, one of the most uh, trafficked air travel routes in the world was Sydney to Melbourne. Is, does, is there an economic case for replacing or at the very least bolstering a Sydney-Melbourne route with something like this? There's a Sarah Moran case for it, I can tell you. I've looked at the, <laughs> at the logistics of training it to Sydney. You can go overnight and you have to stay in one of like six carriages with a terrible bed and then you get out at like 5am at, uh, at Sydney Station from Melbourne. And I've looked at it. I've looked at it so many times. And I think I've done, done it. it. <laughs> yeah, I've oh, done it. Done That's it. actually... Me and my partner ran away from Melbourne because we were doing long distance and I was staying in Melbourne uh, when the pandemic kind of started and me and my partner jumped on a train. We booked a ticket the night before, jumped on the train from uh, Melbourne to Sydney and like ran away in the night. <laughs> oh, my God. Did you get the sleeper carriage? Yeah. Sorry, now I'm just having no, a personal. No, no, we actually we, <laughs> we actually did it during the day so we had to get up at like 5 a.m. Would it have felt better or worse if you had to be in a five-point harness seatbelt? If we were going 1,000 kilometres an hour, I would take it. I think that's fun. But at the same time, we don't really need a hyperloop for that. We could just build a bullet train and I'm not really sure why we haven't done that yet. There have been discussions about building high-speed trains uh, from like Newcastle to Sydney and those kind of smaller, I guess, regional New South Wales routes. But there hasn't been much of a plan yet that I know of for Sydney oh. to Melbourne, which seems insane to me. Mate. They've talked about it so many times. They've talked about it, but there's so no actual decades. plan. 
But where's the plan? Where's the funding and where's the actual plan? Like I think that talking probably about just it to tells me, you that the economics aren't there. Have they factored in my quality of life specifically? Because no. I feel like that could really <laughs> tip it over the edge. I'll put in a freedom of information request. <laughs> Did you consult Angharadio <laughs> specifically and in great detail? Call me. Okay. Well, I'm glad we solved that problem. Uh, <laughs> that's all we've got time for on the show this week. Huge thank you to Angharad Yo from Good Game Spawn Point and a range of other things. Thanks for being back on the program. Thank you. Not 100% sure what accent I did at the end there, but anyway. Uh, Sarah Moran from Girl Geek Academy. Always a pleasure to have you back on the show. Yay. Thanks for having me also. And we will be back same time, same place next week. We've only got a few more episodes left for the year. If you're enjoying the show, make sure you leave a review on whichever podcasting app you happen to encounter us on, including good old-fashioned Spotify, which we are now on. A big hello and thank you to our new Spotify fans. Fans? I don't know if you're fans. I mean, you, you made it to the end. You must be a fan. Uh, and with that, I shall leave you. My name's Mark Fennell, and thanks for listening to Download This Show. Listener.